0: Of your bulletin as so we continue to go through uh, the book of Luke. This is Luke 5:33 through 39. Remember, Jesus has been healing uh, some different people, and the, the uh, Pharisees continue to be upset at this maverick religious figure. And so now they have a new beef with him. And this is what they say: And they said to him, The disciples of John fast often and offer prayers. And so do the disciples of the Pharisees, but yours eat and drink. And Jesus said to them, Can you make wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in those days. He also told them a parable. No one tears a piece from a new garment and puts it on an old garment. If he does, he will tear the new, and the piece from the new will not match the old and no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the new wine will burst the skins and it will be spilled, and the skins will be destroyed. But new wine must be put into fresh wineskins, and no one after drinking old wine deserves new. For he says, the old is good. The word of the Lord. Well, I was recently on my iPhone looking for handy apps you know they're starting to come out with these things called apps for the iPhone it's a real exciting thing some people say it's a fad I don't know but there's some things regarding food apps on the uh, iPhone maybe you've heard of Urban Spoon or Yelp in which you can get reviews of a variety of different restaurants in your area Uh, there's one called open table where you can uh, get a reservation through it in order to be at your favorite restaurant And so now, much like Amazon, where you can go and you can get feedback on different products, you can also go and get instant feedback on different restaurants. So for instance, this one restaurant on, I saw a a, a review, it was a Virginia Beach restaurant, that the atmosphere was intimate and warm, Uh, the lobster and scallops was tasty, the wine list was excellent, the service was unparalleled. And then over here of the pancake house, The eggs were horrible and cold. The wait staff was rude. The price was too high. I'll never go there again. I wonder which restaurant I'm going to. I'm going to pick the lobster and scallops rather than the runny eggs. It was true at Kathy, the founder of Chick-fil-A, that said, food is essential to life. Therefore, make it good. (laughs) An epicurean among us. You know, food is essential to life. A lot of our life revolves around food, but a lot of destiny and fate of the world has actually revolved around food. You know, when Napoleon tried to invade Russia in 1812, he had 600,000 men. He believed that he'd be able to take Russia in two weeks. But just in case, he had uh, three weeks' worth of food. See, an army could outma- uh, outrun the supply chain. Well, things got difficult in Russia, their transportation system was poor. They ended having to forage, for well, forage, 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 just testing you, and so disease and death spread in, and five months later, out of the 600,000 people, only 100,000 made it out of there alive. We all know about the French Revolution, right? Louis XVI and Marie Antoinette. The people are starving and uh, they're oblivious to the royalty to the problems of the people and when Marie heard there's no bread she looked at her dessert tray and simply said let them eat cake and that of course outraged uh, the French who started a revolution seems that life is about either feast or famine not only about food but all sorts of areas right financially sometimes it's feast sometimes it's famine maybe relationally with your friends and acquaintances and family, sometimes it's a feast, a relational feast, and sometimes it's a famine, it's a desert. I want to suggest to you today that spirituality and religion is either feast or famine. Many of us who are religious people, quote-unquote, experience religion, but frankly, if we're honest, experience famine more than feast. And we ask the question, this feast that is promised where is it and how do i actually obtain it at the core all people are spiritual and whether you have food or not whether you have relationships or not the core of our heart and our being is decided by who we believe and what we believe and feast or famine proceeds out of that well let me let me suggest to you that christianity and religion is a te- is a test case feast and famine Christianity being the feast religion being the famine and the problem is when you put those two together you have a reverse synergy two plus two equals zero in Jesus Christ fasting can become feasting religion is overtaken by relationship And so this passage is about one thing. Since we have been given a relationship, we must not go back to religion. Because in Jesus Christ, feasting will overcome fasting. Well, let's look at three points that are touched on in this sermon. Number one, old rules. The way it's supposed to be done in order for us to find the feast. Old rules. Number two, new realities. Jesus has come and literally overturned the apple cart. He's brought a new reality to how we're supposed to live. And then finally, your ruler. You're going to have to choose what meal you decide to take. Because it will lead to feasting or fasting. So old rules, new realities, and your ruler. Well, let's look at the first part, old rules. The Pharisees have a beef, they have a complaint and so they come and they say, the disciples of John fast often, John the Baptist, and offer prayers. And so did the disciples of the Pharisees. These are the religious leading leaders of the country. But yours eat and drink. Now they're touching on this, uh, uh, this practice called fasting. You know, fasting was a very important element of, um, of Israel. Whether it's the Day of Atonement or various Jewish festivals, they would fast at different places. It was a form of worship. In addition, you would do individual fasts, either for mourning, for penitence, for a host of different reasons. It was a way of showing glory to God. Indeed, the Pharisees actually fasted every week, twice a week, Monday and Thursday, to intercede for the nation. So they're obviously are very sensitive about this question of fasting. When you looked at it, there was this equation that the Pharisees had. There was a status derived from fasting. Okay? More fasting equals more holiness. Less fasting equals less holiness. And of course, no fasting equals sinfulness. By the way, there were times that Jesus did fast. Whether uh, 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 praying for the disciples several times, but they were private fasts. They weren't like the Pharisees who showed what he was doing. Basically, the Pharisees are saying, Jesus, you're out of line. You need to play the game the way it's played. Look at the prophets. Look at John the Baptist, who even was your forerunner. Their disciples fasted. We fast. And so you're gonna need to, if you want to play the game and have a voice you're gonna need to not be different you're gonna need to be better you've got to play the game if you want to have success and so the result was as Jesus continued to perform more miracles on the Sabbath and do these things that were not accepted the more good Jesus did the more angry the Pharisees got until there was a flashpoint well that was the Pharisees desire but Jesus response was simply this I act different because I am different. I've come to bring a new message, a new reality, new practices. And he illustrated it with these parables. No one tears a piece from a new garment and puts it on an old garment. If he does, he will tear the new and the piece from the new will not match the old. Now we may get this, the seamstresses and sewers of the day. ka old cloth has already been washed numerous times. All of the shrinking has gone out of it, right? But a new cloth, in addition to looking different because it hasn't faded yet, has not been washed. So when you rip up the new cloth, thus destroying whatever the garment is, and attach it to the old cloth, when you wash it, the new cloth will shrink and will pull away from the old cloth. And so you can't put the two together and make wholeness. It's useless. Jesus continues, No one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the new wine will burst the skins and it will be spilled. After a while, these wineskins would become old and they would become brittle. But if you put new wine in them, as the wine fermented, the gases would expand and it would go ahead eventually and explode. And everything would be ruined. See, Jesus is saying it's pointless to do this. You know, many of us could take this advice, couldn't we? We kind of make a patchwork religion where we attach different things and try to bring them together. For instance, maybe our religion is God helps those who help themselves. It's interesting, when I talk to people about Christianity, nine times out of ten, they translate it into moralistic teaching. Basically, what you're telling me is I need to change. I need to start living the right way instead of the wrong way. So, this is all about not living badly, but living good. Doing good instead of doing bad. Jesus is the one percent, if you will. You know, we do the 99 and he does the one percent. And frankly, all other religions function by this way. If you look at Hinduism, if you look at Islam, if you look at Buddhism, they're all based on this equation. God helps those who help themselves. And the help themselves means live holy lives. If you do, you'll generate good karma and eventually you'll go ahead and enter into uh, the divine peace. In Islam, if you observe the five pillars, if you fast, if you make a pilgrimage to Mecca, if you give, you will go ahead and transcend and make it to heaven. God helps those who help themselves. But for others of you, maybe it's that Jesus is the one that gives a second chance. I know if you remember that movie, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Remember, and one of the guys, he's a criminal and he, he gets religion, he gets baptized. And he says, I've got, I've got a second chance. I'm going to go ahead and start living a good life, right? All the things that I did. The fact that I knocked over that piggly wiggly. God's forgiven that too. I can start a new life. But Jesus is saying that you cannot succeed by old methods. Because my teaching and my life is impossible to combine with the old way of religion. Indeed, it's utterly incompatible. My son recently got a a record player, not recently, probably a year ago. And we needed some vinyls, you know. So we went to Target. Alas, there were no LPs to be found. So we did come up with some, uh, some records uh, from Renee Woodford Knuth's collection. We've got Boston, more than a feeling, right? Rocking it out. We've got our good friend and philosopher Jim Morrison of The Doors. Apparently Renee was a rocker in her uh, early time. And if you need something more relaxed and calm, we do have Lionel Richie, right? Oh, gosh, so smooth. I wanna dance on the ceiling too, Lionel. Well, here was exciting about that because we got a record player and I thought to myself, you know, I have some discs and I wanna go ahead and play some music as well. So I brought out my discs, okay? And I thought, okay, this is one of my favorites, a little smaller than a 33, Katy Perry's uh, hit uh, album Roar. And I placed it on the record player and I put the needle on it, but nothing played thought it was a defective record so I pulled out another one of my favorite artists Flo Rida not Florida mind you Flo Rida. it didn't work either I thought maybe what I needed was some of the older classic hits so I brought out uh, when I need rest and relaxation I put on some Twisted Sister or maybe some Judas Priest uh, when I really need to relax but none of those worked either when I explained my problem to my son he said dad the way these are played is by the needle is actually optical light that is shining upon it and getting information. I told him he was crazy. Everyone knows you put the needle on the round thing and it plays. No, he said, Dad, those two things are utterly incompatible with one another. That's what Jesus is saying. The record is outmoded. I cannot fit on your record player. You will not succeed by these old methods. And so what I want to suggest to you is to stop trying to combine religion and Christianity. See, all of us have a scorecard, if you will. We're sort of keeping score of our lives. You know, what makes a good life a successful life, a holy life? Well, you've got going to church, being a responsible parent, loving your wife, uh, giving your tithe, uh, not gossiping. And oh, lo and behold, Jesus is down at the bottom. I've got to check the Jesus box too and once I look at my scorecard no problems see if that's the way you want to play my suggestion to you is try another religion you'll have much more success with that sort of mentality with Islam or with uh, Hinduism that's not the way Christianity works you have to crumble up your scorecard and you have to bring in a new scorecard that has one central question How do I relate to the Lord Jesus Christ? Because he's utterly incompatible with old religion. Well, this leads you to my second point, new realities. Jesus comes and he says that he is the new wineskin. Jesus said to them, Can you make wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? Sort of a ridiculous comment, right? Can you make wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? Many a father or mother who has put on a wedding will ask the question, why did I spend these uh, untold thousands of dollars so people could come to the wedding reception and fast? No, they've come to celebrate and eat. And the reason they are celebrating and eating is that the bridegroom is with them. His presence is everything. When you think about it, all fasting is, is preparation. Marriage is fulfillment. When we break fast, break fast, we move from fasting to eating. And so what Jesus is saying is, in my presence, you are moving from fasting to feasting. Indeed, look at verse 35. The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and they will fast in those days. See, when Jesus is there, feast. And when his presence is gone, fast. I believe that Jesus is speaking here about His impending death and crucifixion, because Jesus very clearly in John 16 says, I will go away and you will, you will be sorrowful, but in a little while I will come back and you will rejoice and your joy will be complete, not only in person, but then through the Holy Spirit. The point I'm trying to make is Jesus is the feast. He's the feast because He brings a new righteousness. We all know that it's the uh, bridegroom that comes for the bride, right? Who would marry someone that you didn't love? You know, I get to uh, the privileged seat in all weddings because I'm there and helping to marry folks. And I've never seen a bride that looks ugly, particularly to the man who's marrying her. To her, she's beautiful. And what Jesus is saying is that I have come and I have come for you, the bride, the church. I have made you beautiful. I've given you a new robe, a new garment, a total makeover, if you will, with this new clothing. Isaiah 61.10, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exult in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. Remember the prodigal son who comes to his father in tattered clothes and bends at his feet, at least wanting to be in the shadow of his presence. And what does the Father say? Bring a new robe and clothe him with it, and a new family ring. For my son was dead and is uh, is alive again. He was lost and he is found. He brings the feast because he brings the bride, and he brings a new reality. Based not on works, not on my scorecard, but rather on grace. This new reality, this new wineskin is the best of all because in it the last shall be first. Tax collectors and sinners who have no scorecard to speak of become righteous. In it the servant becomes the greatest. Not the one who is the king who has it all together, who has the power, the beauty, but rather the beggar. The one who serves is great There's no better example of that than jesus the sinful is made holy on the basis not of our life but of his it's a different banquet a new covenant a new creation a new jerusalem a new city and the result of this is fulfillment you know if you look at the word fulfill it's an old english word What it basically means is to fill up, to take the place of something. So if a ship came in with no cargo and then was fulfilled, it was filled up, something had taken the place of something. Fullness had taken the place of emptiness. Jesus comes to bring the feast. I remember when we, uh, my wife and I and our first son moved to Stanton, Virginia. We were actually up in Harrisonburg where I was on Young Life staff. We moved to Stanton into this little uh, apartment complex that got creepier by the moment. But uh, when we moved in, our shelves were empty. We didn't have any food yet, we were just moving in. And there's a knock at our door and this uh, committee couple, the Almquists, they came to us and they had Uh, two full bags of groceries. And they came and they basically said, we want to stock your shelves. And so they proceeded to help us take all of this food and fulfill our empty shelves with tasty food. You see, we had nothing, but through them gained all that we needed. We were going to fast that night perhaps, but instead we feasted. See, the truth of the matter is I don't know what's on your shelves, but if it's not Christ, your shelves are empty. You may think you have a lot of stuff up there. You've thrown your job. You've thrown your relationships. You've thrown your reputation. You've thrown your good works. But when you open the cupboards, they're empty. The one thing the cupboard of our heart is designed to hold is Jesus Christ. Because in Jesus Is everything. He brings the feast. He fulfills the longing of our hearts. The scripture said, and God will supply all of your needs according to His glorious riches that are in Christ Jesus. So how do we get Jesus instead of religion? You got to prepare your shelves. You got to reach in and you gotta pull that load of junk out. And you gotta get your trash can and you gotta put it in there. Not that all of it is bad, some of it is very good. But if it's the ultimate thing for you, it's just religion. It's not Jesus Christ. You have to prepare your shelves. And then you have to open your cupboard. And you've got to ask him in. You know, there was a knock at our door with the Omquists. They came to fill our shelves but we could have turned them away right hey no thanks we're going to fill it with something else see Jesus knocks on the door says I know your shelves are empty what you've been looking for is me will you let me in that might fulfill your heart it's a little bit close Jesus I want to be close it's a little bit invasive you're darn right it is Christ is not meant to be part of your life. He's meant to be your life. He's not meant to simply be your Lord. He's meant to be your life. Because in following Jesus Christ, feasting becomes fasting becomes feasting. So don't go back to religion when you've been given a new relationship. Well, this brings me to my final point. If we get rid of the old rules and accept the new realities... We have to choose our ruler. You know, I appreciate both of these parables, uh, the wineskins and the cloth, because it shows us that there is a destructiveness of having, trying to have both. Right? Something is ripped and ruined when you try to combine the two. You know, when you try to combine religion and Christianity, you have all of the oppression of rules and none of the blessings of relationship it's utter destruction and futility and so there are there is a consequence of the decision of who you choose to be your ruler i can either trust in myself or i can trust in christ but if i trust in myself it's my power it's my results and it's my consequences emptiness in this world and emptiness in the next But if I trust in Christ, I get His power, His results, His consequence. A full cabinet when I deserve nothing. More full than I could ever contain. See, if I'm rightly related to God, I experience intimacy with Him and wholeness as I walk along this journey of life. But if I don't, I'm abandoned and I'm isolated. A prisoner of my own house. Jesus wants intimacy with us. If we don't, if we're not filled with something, if we're not attached to something, see, the point is that we are designed to be attached. We're designed to be filled with something. We have an empty heart. We're constantly searching. And you can say, I'm a rock and I'm an island, but you will be searching for that eternal cloth to attach to, that eternal wineskin, and you will never find it because Jesus is the fulfillment of the longings that you have and so make your choice the Pharisees did right verse 39 and no one after drinking old wine deserves new for he says the old is good see they made a decision we like what we have tastes pretty good so we're going to stick with it whatever it is that you're bringing whatever vintage we want nothing of it their result greed suspicion isolation as the kingdom of God comes closer and closer they're repelled moving back further and further but then their disciples the knuckleheads the losers who said we're in we don't want religion anymore we'll empty everything to follow you. We don't know where the road leads, but we want you to be our ruler. You know, life is an adventure with a host of different twists and turns that you can never, ever comprehend and understand. But the one thing that you need is the promise of the ruler that says, I will be with you. I will never forsake you. And all authority and power has been given to me. Where Jesus is, there is the feast. And I am discovering that you can have a feast even in the face of famine. Because it's not the conditions around you or the consequences even of life. It's the fullness of Christ in your heart where you can have a table pitched before your enemies and your cup will overflow. And this goodness and mercy will follow you all the days of your life. Or you can have famine in the face of a feast. You know, you can make a heaven out of hell or a hell out of heaven. The choice is the ruler that you have. The choice is up to you, a feast or a famine. Old methods, old rules or new realities. It's all about the ruler. But if you choose to follow Jesus Christ, your fasting will become feasting. So don't go back to religion and rules, because he's given you a new relationship. Praise God, let's pray. Lord, life is an adventure, and a scary one at that. But you promise, Lord, that if we take you into our shelves, Lord, if we make you the only check on our scorecard. Lord, that you will give us a fast in the midst, a feast in the midst of fasting, Lord. You'll give us fullness in the face of emptiness. You'll give us peace amidst war. Lord, give us the courage to empty our shelves, to make you our ruler, to throw away religion. Lord, to walk in light of you, living by your commands out of joyfulness not to achieve you, but because we've received you, Lord. Lord, we pray that our lives would characterize hearts set free and fulfilled by your presence. We pray all of these things in Christ's name. Amen.